I'm guest host Dalton Rushing, and today on Day One, we're pleased to present an encore program with the noted Old Testament professor and acclaimed author, the Reverend Dr. Walter Brueggemann. People like us have learned how to be strong, don't show any weakness, have economic strength, keep your job, have military strength to fend off every threat, have psychic strength so as not to be exploited. And then Jesus interrupts us with his dangerous weakness. That's Dr. Walter Brueggemann, and today he brings you a powerful message for Lent entitled Strategies for Staying Emancipated. I'm Peter Wallace, and this is Day One. Welcome to Day One, the weekly program that brings you outstanding preachers from America's historic Protestant churches sharing insight and inspiration from God's Word for your life. Now to introduce this week's preacher, here's our host, Peter Wallace. Thank you, Sherry. Today on Day One, we're honored to welcome the Reverend Dr. Walter Brueggemann a widely regarded scholar, teacher, and author. Walter is the William Marcellus McFeeters Professor Emeritus of Old Testament at Columbia Theological Seminary in Decatur, Georgia. He is a past president of the Society of Biblical Literature and an ordained minister in the United Church of Christ. Among his many books, he has recently written Gift and Task, A Year of Daily Readings and Reflections, Sabbath as Resistance, and a Lenten devotional, A Way Other Than Our Own, all from Westminster John Knox. He recently received the Niebuhr Award from his alma mater, Elmhurst College. He's also earned doctorates from Union Theological Seminary and St. Louis University. Walter, welcome to Day One. Thanks. Good to be here. You have been called a modern-day prophet and a rock star of the church, at least by me, and you are still as active in writing and speaking as ever. What would you say drives you in your work? What's, what's your purpose in your work? Uh, well, um, I think the two accents of my long-term work have been uh, advocacy for social justice, economic justice, and the reform of the church mm-hmm. because the church has uh, too much accommodated uh, an exploitative culture and needs to recover its uh, own character. And you have focused primarily on the Old Testament in your scholarly work, the Hebrew Scriptures. Why is that still relevant today for Christian believers? Well, the the Old Testament provides the uh, major categories for the New Testament gospel of Jesus, and uh, that uh, narrative construct in both Testaments uh, provides an alternative narrative Uh, to the dominant narrative of our society, which is a narrative of greed and anxiety and violence. And uh, uh, the uh, biblical narrative in both Testaments is about uh, love of God and love of neighbor uh, that wants to contradict uh, the notions of anxiety and scarcity and greed and violence. Mm. So it is a uh, contest of narratives and I take my work to be holding up, uh, trying to hold up one side of that contest. Mm -hmm. You've been a regular presenter at the Festival of Homiletics coming up again this May in Washington, D.C., and one of the most popular speakers there each year. What do you hope to communicate to preachers from across North America and across the denominational map as well? 
Well, they have assigned us uh, for this year's festival the theme of uh, economic justice, and uh, for the most part, the preachers at the festival uh, pay no attention to the theme, but I try to take it seriously, and uh, what I'm going to do in my uh, uh, formal presentation at the festival is to talk about the class war that is conducted from above and how it is that uh, the God of the gospel participates in the class Mm -hmm. war Mm -hmm. uh, on behalf of the vulnerable. I think that uh, very many pastors are um, uh, fairly uh, innocent about uh, the class war, and uh, most churches are not um, prone to want to think about that because it feels too conflictual. Mm -hmm. Uh, But uh, one can't really talk about economic uh, justice uh, without being conflictual, I think. You were last with us in 2004, and we asked you what the church might look like in 10 years then. So I'd like to ask that question of you now. Uh, Well, I think it's a really uh, hard and perplexing time in the church Uh, And I think uh, almost all of us are bewildered about uh, what new forms uh, the church will take. Uh, Clearly, the uh, heavy investment in uh, buildings and bureaucracy uh, in the church is unsustainable. uh, And it probably, uh, uh, our circumstances probably driving us back to basics Mm. And the basics are love of God and love of neighbor. And uh, now it becomes a difficult question about how to uh, institutionalize that and uh, maintain it in a in a sustained fashion. Uh, and I think many people are taking initiatives about that, but I don't think we've uh, ar- arrived at much clarity. The only thing that is clear is that the old ways of uh, doing business in the church uh, – are no longer sustainable, uh, which means uh, it's like uh, heading into the wilderness to try to get to the promised land. You're not only an accomplished scholar with numerous textbooks to your credit, mostly on the Old Testament, but you've also published collections of prayers and devotional meditations on Advent and Lent, and more recently, a year of daily readings and reflections entitled Gift and Task. Is there a difference in how you approach scholarly versus devotional and prayerful writing? Well, I think there's a difference about how you try to articulate it, but Mm. there's no difference about how I approach it. I'm kind of a one-style guy, and uh, I try to uh, read uh, biblical texts uh, with an eye on contemporaneity, Mm -hmm. and uh, I'm I'm never disappointed that the Bible uh, always moves uh, toward contemporaneity so that uh, while writing that uh, extended book, Gift and Task, was hard work, uh, it was not hard to spot the contemporaneity of the text. And uh, uh, that sometimes that works better in church-directed publications than it does in scholarly publications because scholars are a little bit uh, nervous about too much contemporaneity. <laughs> but... Uh, For the most part, I do it anyway uh, because I believe uh, that's in the nature of the biblical text itself, that it pushes toward contemporaneity. Mm -hmm. Is there a difference in how you approach scholarly versus devotional and prayerful writing? Well, uh, as I uh, tried to say in my sermon, I think that uh, 
uh, Lent is uh, the, the uh, disciplined process uh, whereby we try to move our lives uh, out of uh, old failed commitments uh, to uh, walk the walk with Jesus. Uh, and uh, uh, insofar as we are addicted uh, to those old failed uh, practices, uh, then we need the disciplines that every addict uh, has to undertake. And, uh, you know, conventionally, uh, that's prayer and fasting. Uh, and uh, I think Lent requires that kind of discipline uh, if we are to arrive at Easter uh, with any uh, real sense about what the, the new risen life of Jesus might mean for us. Your message today is based on the text for the third Sunday in Lent, including Exodus 20, verses 1 to 17, and I'll read that for us. Then God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the sea. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of parents to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you, your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock, or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. Honor your father and your mother, so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or male or female slave, or ox, or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Those are well-known verses comprising the Ten Commandments. Walter, your sermon is entitled, Strategies for Staying Emancipated. Thank you for sharing it with us. Well, I've been uh, delighted to have this opportunity to uh, offer this sermon, and uh, I anticipate that uh, the hearing of it is probably done by a lot of preachers, and uh, I'm glad to be in a collegial relationship with many preachers who have the hard task of doing this work uh, weekly. It's a hard task, and uh, if my uh, effort in this is of some use, uh, I will be very glad. And if you'd like to listen again to today's program or read or share a transcript of Walter Brueggemann's sermon, visit our website at dayone.org. Or for a free printed sermon transcript, call us toll-free at 1-888-411-DAY1.
The first lectionary reading given us for this third Sunday in Lent is the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. These big ten were given to Israel by Moses at Mount Sinai just after they had left Egyptian slavery. The Ten Commandments are rules by which to maintain their recent emancipation from Egypt. As you know, the Ten Commandments begins with the invocation of the God who liberated Israel from Egypt. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the word Egypt refers to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh is the abusive, brutalizing king of Egypt who practiced an exploitative concentration of power and wealth. You will notice that we do not know Pharaoh's name, and that is because Pharaoh keeps turning up in our history time after time. So Pharaoh is the right name for every brutalizing concentration of wealth and power that acts in violence against vulnerable people. And the Exodus is the powerful acknowledgement of that brutalizing domain of human history from which we have been emancipated. At the outset, the Ten Commandments name this emancipatory God, I am the Lord your God, I am the Lord of the Exodus, I am the God who emancipated you, I am the Lord of new promises. It is an announcement that the world is under new governance. And that new governance is detailed in the Ten Commandments. They are rules for freedom and justice that contrast with the bondage and injustice of Pharaoh. And the covenant at Sinai is a warning that if you do not keep these commandments, you will be back in the grip of Pharaoh and his insatiable demands back to having produce on demand, back in the rat race of production and consumption, back in fear and anxiety and alienation, back in hostility toward the neighbor. Thus, the Ten Commandments are strategies for staying emancipated once you get away from Pharaoh. And this new strategy, first of all, says you have to honor God. That's the first three commandments to the exclusion of every idol, every ism, such as racism or sexism or nationalism, or the worship of stuff that is rare or precious or attractive or beautiful or empowering. The new strategy means in the Ten Commandments to take the neighbor with utmost seriousness. So the last five commandments are all about the neighbor and treating neighbors with legitimacy and dignity and viability, and especially disadvantaged neighbors, not to violate the neighbor for the sake of greed. And between these two commandments of honoring God and taking the neighbor seriously, at the center of the Ten Commandments is Sabbath day. Keep Sabbath. Take a break from the rat race of busyness and exhaustion and do not let Pharaoh define your life. Now, if we think about these three strategies in the Ten Commandments, each of them contrasts with the way of Pharaoh. 
Pharaoh believes that there are many loyalties, all of which enslave. Pharaoh believes that there are no real neighbors. And Pharaoh never stops for Sabbath. It's 24-7. Moses at Mount Sinai declares that there are new possibilities for life beyond the pressures of anxiety and fearfulness and greed. So it occurred to me that this is just about the right text for Lent, because Lent is a process of moving our life into new zones of reality. So there are three tasks to do in Lent. The first task is to recognize the ways in which we have accepted Pharaoh's domain as normal. We have normalized anxiety, we have normalized scarcity, and we have normalized exhaustion. We have normalized a way of living that is in violation of the Ten Commandments. The second work of Lent is to recognize the deep alternative to which Moses and then Jesus invites us. So when Jesus called his first disciples and said, follow me, he invited them to an alternative life that wasn't preoccupied with fear, that wasn't preoccupied with scarcity but practiced abundance, and that wasn't preoccupied with exhaustion. So the first task of Lent is to see Pharaoh clearly, and the second task of Lent is to ponder these strategies for emancipation that are offered by Moses and then by Jesus. And the third work of Lent involves intentionality and discipline, the kind that every addict must practice in order to break addictive habits. Lenten discipline is not about giving up chocolate, even if that's a good idea. It is about giving up the expectations of Pharaoh for greed and ideology and anti-neighborliness and exhaustion. And it is the work, this discipline is the work that all of us may practice in Lent. Finally, our epistle reading for today from 1 Corinthians 1 shows us that in the life of Jesus and in the cross of Jesus, that Jesus has doubled down on the Ten Commandments. So it is said in 1 Corinthians 1 that God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom. Paul might have said God's foolishness is wiser than Pharaoh's wisdom. So Lent is a time for foolishness. Foolish enough to welcome a wayward son home. Foolish to forgive 70 times 7. Foolish to pay workers who show up late for work. Foolish to feed a crowd with only two fish. Foolish to stop for a mugged stranger and pay for his health care. Foolish to defy the rulers of the world. And then Paul says the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. He might have said the weakness of God is stronger than Pharaoh's strength. Imagine that. 
People like us have learned how to be strong. Don't show any weakness. Have economic strength. Keep your job. Have military strength to fend off every threat. Have psychic strength so as not to be exploited. And then Jesus interrupts us with his dangerous weakness. The weakness of generosity toward those who may exploit. Weakness to touch lepers and to heal the undeserving. Weakness to enter into conflict with the empire and come out as Easter life. Weakness of mercy and justice and fidelity in a world that easily dismisses such practices. So we know the work of Lent. We know the work of Lent from Moses. We know the work of Lent from Jesus. We know the work of Lent from Paul. But it is work that is to be done if we are not to kill each other and our planet. It is the work of staying emancipated from Pharaoh. And without such Lenten work, we find ourselves back in a system that cannot make us safe and that cannot make us happy. The good news is that God intends otherwise for us and has shown us how to get there. The Reverend Dr. Walter Brueggemann was our preacher today, an accomplished scholar and author and ordained in the United Church of Christ. Walter is Professor Emeritus of Old Testament at Columbia Theological Seminary in Decatur, Georgia. For a free transcript of his message for the third Sunday in Lent, Strategies for Staying Emancipated, call us toll-free at 1-888-411-DAY1. That's 888-411-3291. Or write to us at Day 1, 2715 Peachtree Road, Atlanta, Georgia, 30305. Please keep in mind that Day 1 depends on the financial offerings of our faithful listeners. We are grateful for your support. You've been listening to an Encore program with the noted Old Testament professor and acclaimed author, the Reverend Dr. Walter Brueggemann. Next week on Day One, we're delighted to welcome the Reverend Dr. William Flippin, Jr., a Lutheran pastor, church growth and church planning consultant, and a member of the Day One Alliance for Christian Media Board of Trustees. His powerful sermon for the fourth Sunday in Lent is titled, The Remedy, Look, Lift Up, and Live. This is Dalton Rushing. Be sure to join us next week on Day One. Day One guest host Dalton Rushing. In these challenging times, I'm so grateful for the impact this faith-building program, Day One, is making in the lives of hundreds of thousands of people around the world. This year, we celebrate 79 years of faithful weekly ministry. If you appreciate this uplifting program, I hope you'll support our work with a generous donation now. You can mail your gift to Day One, 
2715 Peachtree Road, Atlanta, Georgia 30305, or call us at 404-815-9110. That's 404-815-9110. Or give securely online at dayone.org. From all of us at Day One, thank you and God bless you. Walter Brueggemann offers some final reflections on his sermon today with our host, Peter Wallace. Walter, the Ten Commandments are given, you said brilliantly, by the liberating God who opposes and defeats Pharaoh's system of exploitation and who delivers Israel from that brutalizing economy. It is an affirmation that the world, our lives, are under new governance, a new regime, and the Ten Commandments are rules for this new life of freedom and justice. And if the Israelites and we don't follow them, we are susceptible to falling back into Pharaoh's domain. So you call the Ten Commandments strategies for staying emancipated. How would you describe what can happen with us today if we treat these strategies casually or dismissively? Well, we we, uh, fall back into Pharaoh's domain. Uh, uh, I think the Ten Commandments are a, a strategy for resistance to Pharaoh's greed, anxiety, scarcity, and violence. Uh, And if we do not practice these disciplines, then we become uh, wantless uh, participants in the system of uh, greed, violence, and scarcity that dominates our culture. Mm -hmm. And uh, one can see it everywhere. Uh, One can see it uh, in uh, neighborhoods, and one can see it in national policy. Mm in which the mantra of making America great again uh, seems to be a strategy for uh, greed and the scarcity and accumulation and violence. And uh, so Pharaoh keeps showing up, and uh, Moses keeps inviting us to resist and to practice an alternative. Mm -hmm. These new strategies for staying free start with honoring God to the exclusion of every other idol and continue with taking the neighbor with utmost seriousness, recognizing the legitimacy, dignity, and viability of every neighbor. How would that play out in our lives today? Well, uh, it's a, it's a uh, two-pronged thing, I think. On the one hand, it means uh, generous face-to-face neighborliness, and uh, local congregations are pretty good about that. Mm-hmm. You know, we do soup kitchens, and we do tutoring programs and good stuff. But the other prong we're not so good at, and that is the formation of public policy. Mm. And uh, public policy has to do with uh, minimum wage, with uh, good uh, credit and lending practices, uh, with uh, taxation that is not regressive, uh, so that neighborliness cannot be practiced unless we are at work on policy formation Mm. Mm -hmm. uh, that takes the neighbor seriously. And at the present time, uh, most of our policymaking in the United States is under the aegis Mm. of Pharaoh's greed. And so we are in the direction of making very bad policy 
that is very damaging to many neighborhoods and to many vulnerable mm. neighbors. So uh, this way of reasoning about it uh, would require uh, the followers of Moses and the followers of Jesus uh, to be um, politically engaged uh, in uh, policy formation. Mm-hmm. Walter, in this season of Lent, what's one thing from your sermon today that you hope our listeners will keep in mind in the days ahead? I think it is uh, the recognition that the way of Jesus in Lent contradicts dominant values. Uh, In the ancient world of Jesus, uh, it contradicted the values of the Roman Empire, which were essentially uh, exploitative. Mm -hmm. And uh, we now live in an imperial system uh, that Jesus contradicts. And to to live out our lives in intentional contradiction to that system, it seems to me, is the call of the gospel. It's an exceedingly difficult call. And most of us are uh, quite compromised and uh, not very uh, resolved or very brave. But it is the work of Lent to uh, mobilize our common energies uh, for an alternative way in the world. Dr. Walter Brueggemann, thank you for being with us. It's good to talk with you, and I'm uh, glad to be here. Thank you. Day One is the voice of America's mainline Protestant churches. Visit us online at dayone.org. Our program is recorded and edited by Donald Jones and produced by Peter Wallace. Thank you for joining us. I'm Sherry Miller wishing you all God's blessings on day one and forever. Mm